Welcome back to the For Film Sake Podcast, everybody. My name is Brian Ortiz, and I'm here with... Chris Lucky. And today we're going to be talking about Blue Velvet. Mm-hmm. But before any of that, the ketchup, the condiments. The mustard. The mustard. All of that. All I, of that. I've been doing a cleanse. You've been doing a cleanse? A cleanse. Like a juice cleanse? Like a... Like a um, like a, a, a made up something. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this is something that you've created. Yes. Okay. Because you know, I'm, I'm, been, I'm always on the, some kicks and like last week I was talking about the barbecue sauce that I made from the vinegar thing or whatever. Yeah. Now I went further into my, my vinegar bag. Okay. You know, and, um, you, that you sounds s- like a horrible autobiography. <laughs> my, vinegar my vinegar bag. vinegar <laughs> bag. <laughs> to the vinegar bag because we, we we have um apple cider vinegar and we use that for a lot of different things like for cleaning agents for um we use it inside of our face mask with bentonite clay yeah. and charcoal we use that which but, is apparently uh, healthy as fuck it's super yes yes yeah. hell yes but we use the, the apple cider vinegar but um we the one we had i was looking on the internet they say no the best one is apple cider vinegar with mother so i was like all right i'm, I'm looking for that so i went and found it so i'm like all right i got this then i went and got some lemon juice or lemons you know yeah. went and got that and then i was like all right then put a little cayenne pepper in there you know to kind of just open everything up and everything. Going on. Yeah, right. so I was putting a tablespoon of that. Must taste fucking disgusting. Oh, I'm not done with it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then I added an essential oil called yeah. black seed oil. Okay, I had never heard of this before, like last week. But right. just like YouTube will take you down a damn rabbit hole. Yeah, tell YouTube you will do that. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, black, uh, black seed oil is amazing. It's freaking amazing. Like I'll you know vouch for that. But yeah, but I put all of that inside my water, then shake it all up, and then drink that once in the morning and once at night. Yeah. And let me tell you about these poops, Ron. Uh, <laughs> please. Please, enlighten me. I'm so excited. Let me tell you about these poops. It's like, these, these aren't the regular poops. These aren't your wake up in the morning, as soon as you got up, just your customary routine poop. Right. Oh, no. Because you know what those look like. And you know, you expect them to vary in appearance depending upon what you ate. Yeah. You know, so it's like, you kind of know what to expect down there. Right. And I'm not getting that. It's no. like, the things that are coming out of my butthole aren't things that I put in my mouth in the past 12 hours. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what the fuck is happening? It's like because you're like alchemizing it, like foreign material in it, your body. Like I looked on the internet and they said that it's like it cleans your your um your intestines. Yeah. So it's like all the things that are in your intestines, like the um the apple cider vinegar and the the acid from the lemon juice yeah. and the cayenne is just like breaking it apart from the and it's just shooting it down. The, so it's like I'm getting like. A, like a half a handful of this green brown uh, stuff okay you know like twice a day now y- yeah you know so so that's that's been happening is that good supposedly is it is that good. healthy so, yeah the internet said the internet says it's good and if well, it's on the, the internet, internet says we all have cancer <laughs> if the internet says it then you know it has to be true the internet also says that the earth is flat yep and that <gasps> vaccines cause autism. There is a a, a Netflix special that yeah. the Flat Earthers have a whole Netflix special, Brian. Are you fucking serious? I'm dead ass serious. They have uh, a whole Netflix special. And I watched the first 30 minutes of it. Yeah. I watched the whole first 30 minutes. And then after a, a while, I was like, how dumb am I getting just from <laughs> just from absorb like hearing the stuff? You know, just from hearing it. You know, because like like I said, I'm, I always like to see both sides of the story. Like I I believe, no, I know through science, you yeah. know that the Earth is not flat. Right. You know, but I'm like, all right. So if you believe that, then let me figure out why you believe yeah, that. Like, what are you, you on know? about? Yeah, yeah. Because like, let me have some empathy for you. Like you may have gone through something traumatic or whatever that makes you believe that. Just let me understand you as a human being and not just label you as a crazy person as I am doing. Right. You know, but but you know what? That sometimes, yep. sometimes I think it's okay to label someone as a crazy person. I mean, I, I did my due diligence. Yeah. You <laughs> you did the research you watched the document you know what's funny like if it's yeah. anything like the documentaries that i've seen on youtube popping about mm-hmm. about flat earthers yeah then this is not only is it factually wrong and incoherent yeah 
but it's so shite. Mm-hmm. It is so badly produced. There is yeah, no uh, way. It, was, it wasn't too, It wasn't super bad produ- badly produced because like the, the producers were in on it. Like okay. there was one guy that's like leader of the flat earth people or whatever. He was like, <laughs> yeah, in order for him to be on, on this Netflix special, he's going to need 15% of the revenue. He's going to need $5,000 up front. And um, it was a number of things. Oh, and then for them, for Netflix to vouch budget. for him. And then it was like, yeah, we were unable to uh, to comply with his demands. Yeah. So it was like Netflix were kind of like in on it. They understood like right, yeah. how crazy these people were. But yeah, after 30 minutes of it, I'm just like, fuck, man, I don't need this information in my head. Like, I don't even need that. Don't need it. Don't need it. I am. So, can we just like scrap whatever the next episode is and then just no, talk about no. that documentary? Yeah, yeah. For like an hour and a half. Just make fun of it Flatter the entire clock. time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there is nothing that I love more mm-hmm. than seeing flat earthers yeah. just completely and irrevocably prove themselves wrong mm-hmm. through their own experiments. Oh, man. There is a YouTube video mm-hmm. that apparently if you put two cardboard boxes and you cut a hole in them and then you shine a light through the other, okay. through the hole in it, if the earth is flat, then you should be able to like receive the light at the other end yeah. by putting it the same height that the lantern is shining the light on. Okay. Right. But that's not what happens. Of course the not. The earth has a curve. Yes. So what ends up happening is that you have to raise the light three or four feet. To make it level with the other To make one. it level yeah. with the lantern. So there's a guy on YouTube, a flat earther, yeah. who made this experiment and he was so fucking confident that it was going to work. Yeah. And then it didn't. He had to raise the light. He made it work. Three or four <laughs> yeah. feet. And then he just went like, huh, interesting. And I was like, your fucking worldview is goddamn shattered right you, now. You hope it is. Yeah. But I bet you it's not. That's what's up with these people. It's like there's no amount of proof. There's, even when they prove themselves wrong, they was like, you know what? Maybe I just did the experiment. Like something, something's no. wrong with the experiment. Not my worldviews. Nah. Nah. <laughs> Definitely not. Yep. And my favorite flat earth argument is mm-hmm. just like, hey, so the earth is flat. Yeah. But we've seen fucking Mars. Mm. Mars is round. Yep. And their response is just like, no, 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 no. Mars, Mars is round. Yeah. The Earth is flat. Yes. Everything else is everything round else is round. Yeah. We're just moon, flat. moon, moon's oh, round. That, yeah. Sun's round. Yep. Pluto's round. Yes. Mars, Jupiter, they're all round. They're yes. all round and big. Yeah. We're the only flat ones. I mean, the thing is, it's like, that's how God created it. You know, <laughs> God created it that way. There's, we're the only intelligent life in the universe. The universe yes. isn't that that vast or large at all. He made the earth to be flat because why would it need to be round? Right. It's like, we're not floating through space at millions of miles per hour. Space is floating through us. It's floating through us. Yeah. <laughs> that's what's happening. <laughs> Damn it. See, that's what I'm saying. Like, now I have this bullshit information yeah. that's never useful to anybody. <laughs> Except for me to be laughed and at while we're Never it. be able to forget it. <laughs> no. it'll, it'll hang out. You forget it. Like I, I don't know how to do algebra at this point. Mm-hmm. Like I've forgotten that skill. Yeah. I know how many stupid flat earth arguments I've seen on the internet. Yep. I know that much. Yeah. See how fucking useful that is. Not at all. Yeah, that's what, <laughs> anyway. I'm glad that there's a documentary on Netflix about this because yeah. I will absolutely watch it yeah. and just laugh my tits off at it's, it. Um, yeah, it's really bad. It's really oh, bad. Oh, my God. Like, with the, the beginning of it, like, they try to give, like, someone that seems like he's a credible human being. Right. He's like, yeah, I memorized all the entire periodic table. And then he goes through and then does it from the beginning to the end. He was like, yep, I memorized how to do this. So he's, like, just trying to show some credibility or just validate that he's not a right-offable hey, human being. Just show credentials. Yeah, that, that would be nice. <laughs> yeah. That would be nice. But, like, 
like he he went through all of that. So I was like, all right, I'll, I'll see what he's on about, you know. But then like, like 10, 15 minutes into it, he's walking up to random strangers and telling them about how the, the earth is flat and that they're wrong. And it's just like, okay, yeah, yeah I'm good. Yeah, you're, you're crazy. All right, yeah. Hey, you know what's a good way of showing credibility? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, credentials. Yes. You know, you know how it's a good way to know if someone's a scientist? Mm-hmm. Um, they have a resume. Oh, man. Of peer-approved scientific work. Yes. You know what? Maybe, Proved. Yeah, maybe, you know. Yeah. Um, but sure, the Earth is flat, yeah. and the Illuminati are coming to get us, yep. and the Anunnaki are real, and we're dying in 2021. Oh, 2021 uh, now? 2021 now. Oh, yeah, wow, we're updated. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. it updated a little bit. It used to be like 2030. Yeah. Um, but, you know. Behind the curve. That's the name Behind of it. Behind the curve. That, uh, how, how, however much that, that's how far I made it. Fuck <laughs> you. You made it like almost halfway. Shout out to almost. you. Yeah, almost, yeah. <laughs> like, like, that is, it was just bad. Like I, 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 uh, That is hilarious. Well, every one of these yeah, people looks minutes. like they'd be flat earthers. <laughs> yeah. They have a look to them. They, yep. have, they, they have a certain glaze behind the eyes yeah. that you can see. You yeah. can spot them a fucking mile away. It's so bad. Um, ah, Jesus Christ. Yeah. I don't want to make fun of people from their beliefs, but I will make fun of flat earthers. Yes. Absolutely make like fun of You're choosing to be ignorant. Yeah. Like, that's a choice. You absolutely like, are. Like, nobody's making you do that. You weren't born with that. Like, <laughs> you're choosing that. Like, no. No, <laughs> I can make fun of that. I very much can. Oh, I love it. Flat Earthers, please go away. Yes. Um, <laughs> what else have you been watching? Uh, watching, um, I've seen Phantom Thread. Phantom Thread. Oh, yeah, the, the, the Daniel, Daniel Day-Lewis. Day-Lewis last movie. How was that? Um, he's an amazing actor. Like, after watching it, I was like, maybe there he is the best actor I've ever seen. You know, like, he can just become, he's, he becomes the thing. Right. Like, and I was, like, thinking about, like, how much work it must take from him like um like my guy that played Batman that died because it was just so much oh, uh, he's Heath Ledger. Ledger. Yeah. yeah, like how he much Joker. Yeah, Joker, yeah. I, I said played Batman. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Like Christian <laughs> in, in Batman. Jesus. Yeah, but um but yeah, like how he had to dive so deep into, you know, that character to become that and to realistically portray it. Mm-hmm. And I think about Daniel Day Lewis and he's a method actor and he just goes so far into it, like he becomes it. So I'm like, I'm just thinking like what does that do to him, him, him just him as a human? Stuff. That's probably why he hasn't got very many movies. <laughs> no, that's why he quit. Like he's, well, yeah. he's retired now. He was okay, like, yeah, that, that was his sense. last movie that he was going to do. Cause he was like, I'm not, I can't invest this much of myself to do these movies anymore. Can I, can I tell you an unpopular opinion? Hmm? I think method acting is bullshit. I like I like these are very good actors and mm-hmm. they have a process that works for yes, them. That works, sure. Yes. Yeah. But I think the the philosophy of method acting mm. is absolutely bullshit. You don't need to become the character. No, you don't need that. You don't need nope. to fucking spend three hours in like a locker room nope. tied up in handcuffs to nope. portray like a dude that got kidnapped and got tied up in handcuffs for three. Nope. Fuck, you don't need that. You nope. don't need just fucking act. Yeah. Just like like the British don't do this shit. No, I mean we we've seen m- most examples of very good actors. They don't use the method no, at, at all. I think it's all. absolutely like frivolous and ridiculous. I, I guess it's like I just I like I like results. So it's like mm-hmm. if the people that are achieving the results from it, more power to you. It's like maybe they personally need it, you know. But yeah. just overall, like maybe uh, it's part of their process. Yeah. But method actors are exhausting to work with. Oh, they yeah. like on a set, they're the fucking worst. Nobody wants that. Like that Jim Carrey documentary. I was thinking the same thing. It's like uh, yep. like Jim Carrey. Like you gave us a very good <laughs> thing, but like fuck you yep. and all of that process. Yeah. Um, same with like Dana De Lewis. Like we haven't heard anything bad about him on set, no, for sure. No. But like this other, the other cocksucker that played Jared Leto, mm. uh, he played uh, uh, the, the Joker, Joker one. Yeah. yeah, he played the new Joker. Yeah. They had another method acting thing where he like became the Joker for X amount of time. Yeah. Stop. Yeah. <laughs> we don't need it. Anthony Hopkins. You know what he gave us? He gave us a cannibal. Yeah. You know what he didn't do? Eat, Eat people. people. No, he didn't have you to know? do that. 
He's like, in method act. No, it's like I think there's just a there's a line. Like a lot of people will do research, and yeah. they're like if they're gonna be doing something they're not super familiar with, then they'll go to that area and they just like understand it. But like yeah, method they just take it so 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 far. But <sighs> too far, know, too far. I think the Brits, because the Brits just turn it on and off. Yeah. Like, that's what they do. They just yeah. go like, all right, yeah, that's, I'm acting. Yep. Now I'm not acting. Yep. And that seems healthy. It seems Method cool. acting seems like a divorce from reality. It d- very much. And it's concerning. It's concerning. These people don't exist. Could you imagine mm-hmm. if Chris Evans became Captain America? Could you imagine that shit? I mean, Can you imagine how annoying that would be on a set? Yeah. Or like just or in his personal life? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. but that's that's what um, that's what Michael uh, Michael B. Jordan is going through. Like he became Killmonger for the role. And he's going through therapy now in order to just get back to his regular life. You shouldn't go to therapy after a, a taking after a job. A movie. You yeah. shouldn't after any job. You shouldn't go to therapy no, exa- after yes, any job. Exactly. Yeah. Stop. You're hurting yourselves. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like, but like some people, they feel like it's worth it. I mean, it's just teachers on. I guess like if you feel like that was worth it, and the therapy and the whatever you're gonna have to go through in order to wash that away from you, then fine. But it's just like for me. I wouldn't feel it would be worth it, but no. also no one's giving also, me I don't a couple million dollars to do it either, but <laughs> we'll see. I mean, that's true. You that's know. true. I just don't want to deal with anyone in a set that's method acting. No. I, I find that exhausting and annoying. Yeah. <laughs> they were talking about Daniel Day-Lewis when he was playing uh, Abraham Lincoln that he refused to come out of character. They're like, uh, Mr. Lewis, and he wouldn't even respond to you. No. You have to talk to Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's time. actually a hilarious story, mm-hmm. but stop. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I'm finally, I'm finally catched up with, caught up with catched up. Caught, caught, it, caught it up with? Caught it up with? Caught it. Yeah, I'm caught it up with uh, Steven Universe. Okay. Uh, I'm on the last available episode of Steven Universe right now. Okay. And I am very sad. No. Oh. Um, shit got real very quickly. Okay. And then it was just like, okay, for a couple of episodes. And then it got real again very quickly. Mm. It's a very just roller coaster of a show emotionally. Yeah. And season five is actually not the best. I feel like all the like you can take out like seven episodes out of season five yeah. and then have it be a more much more coherent where, season. Where are they at now? Seven? It's five. No, they're five. It's still five? Yeah. Okay. There's five. Um production hasn't been going on for a little bit. No. Which kind of sucks. Um but it, it's just like seven episodes that could have not been there yeah. and the season would have been better, better, I think. Yeah. Um so I have my issues with the last season, but everything until the last season was fucking fantastic. It's nice. Like okay. fucking fantastic. Hell yeah. Uh, and the uh, last episode looks really good, and I haven't watched it yet because I have to watch it with Annie. Yeah, and uh, I want to finish it so badly. Yeah, <laughs> so good. You, you know what? You know what you could do that that yeah. you that you that you, you shouldn't do, right. and you're not gonna do. Yeah. You know that I that I I never do. Dude, you've never done. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely would never do it. You know, <laughs> but it's like if you're you're watching a, a series, mm-hmm. you know, with your significant other, and then it's like, and then they want to tap out after like, because I'm a binger, you right, know. Yeah, so yeah. it's like as soon as we start watching something, then we can stay here. We, we can just live here now, you know, but um, but my, my girlfriend's just like after like four episodes, like, all right, I kind of need a palate cleanser. Like, I just don't want to sit here watching five, six, seven, 12 episodes, you yeah. know, but um, so what do you do when the, like that, that anxiety thing I'm talking about when the coin is flipped up in the air mm. and you're waiting for that bitch to come down and it's not mm. coming down and you're not going to be able to think of anything else until it comes down. You kind of got to watch an episode, but you don't tell her. You don't tell her about it. You, you don't tell her. You know, you watch an episode or two just to get you over and then you rewatch it with her anew. You've if never you, seen it before. If That's you, something I'm not saying you should do. I've no, I, I don't know anything about that. You know, I wouldn't do that. Mm-mm. If you replace an episode with any street drug, mm-hmm. that sounds like an addict. <laughs> <laughs> 
So what you do <laughs> is you don't tell her, and then you get your fix. Yep. And then when she comes back, you just get another fix. Yeah. It's like you know, you know, it's like you're, you're drinking. It's like you know, I like, I like, I like to drink. And you know, she was like, yeah. After like one or two drinks, she's kind of like, all right, you know, I'm just gonna walk away from it. But like me, I'm like, no, I gotta drink. You know, yeah, I see your. Comparison. I'm gonna take another two shots, and then when she comes back, I'll take another two yeah. shots and act like I never drank and, anything. And like like other ones. No idea. She has no idea. You're a fucking addict. <laughs> <laughs> I am a content addict. I really am. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that's I, fucking hilarious. Yeah, but that's that's just some advice for things to not do. Yeah, I'll definitely not do that. <laughs> definitely not. And I, I, I'm not being funny. I won't no, do it. No, no, de- de- sure, de- <laughs> <laughs> most definitely will not. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> 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 I've also been watching Law uh, Law and Order SVU. Okay, I started from the very beginning. Drum, drum. Uh, God, that fucking theme song. Yeah. It's, is there anything more iconic than that? Goddamn. Is, is that the one with the IC? Yeah, yeah. Nice. Yeah. It's uh, the one with Olivia Benson and Christopher Molini. Okay. Uh, is that Olivia Benson? Yeah, Olivia Benson. Okay. Uh, fantastic show. The cinematographer, like it's it's old. Yeah. It's like from like the early two thousands. And it's still ongoing. It's got 18 seasons. Yeah. First of all, any show that's got 18 seasons, either someone is throwing just hemorrhaging money at it, mm. or the show's good. Um, and I don't know how good it is in the later seasons. But uh, yeah. Um, I'm not, I don't know. It's like, I, I'm, I'm a five-season person. And yeah. we talked about this a lot. It's just like, the shows that just go on and on and on and on, like you're taking up space from other people that are new, like, I'm saying like new ideas can be coming in here, but these new ideas can't get in because you're making 20 seasons of the same show. Like you can't possibly be making new episodes after seven seasons. You right. know, like we've seen this with The Office. We've seen it with so many different things where it's just like, you don't have any new, new unique content. ideas um, and you also won't let someone with new unique ideas come in. You know, you want to keep doing this shit. So it's like, I don't know. I'm I'm torn on that, but yeah, no. I, I'm I'm sure like the first ten seasons are probably super amazing. Yeah, and, and like the cinematography of the show is fucking fantastic. Like oh, yeah. for like like it doesn't look like a television show. Yeah, it doesn't look like your typical CSI or crime procedural. It nice. looks very advanced, very purposeful cinematography. Yeah. The character writing is really well done. Nice. The way that the deliver exposition is really well done, and I'm having a really good time with it. Yeah. Um, I am anxiously waiting for Ice T to show up. Okay. Um, because I want to know what the fuck he looks like in this show. Okay. He's been there since the beginning. Yeah. Why is Ice-T in a crime procedural television show? <laughs> um, but his, um, his, he had a role in a movie called um, uh, New Jack City and where he played a uh, undercover detective. Okay. So it's like from that, there was like, okay, I can see you being a cop of, so, of some way. Because, yeah, if you haven't seen the New Jack City, okay. all you know is gangster thug rapper. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah so it was like, That's all I know about yeah, Ice-T. Yeah. Like they, they put him in a movie to where he was playing up a cop. And they was like, all right, you, that's a nice audition. And now he's doing it's this. Interesting. So yeah. I've been enjoying I've been enjoying Law and Reverse for you. Oh, yeah. Uh, and uh, not watching a lot much else. Uh, I want to catch Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have not been able to do that yet. Okay. I've heard very good things on the internet. I've heard things. I, I can't. I don't know what things are, are right yet. Just because right, nobody yeah. that I know and trust has given it a good review yet. So yeah. I don't know yet. A couple of the people that I know and like and trust their opinion on like particularly superhero movies, yeah. like really liking Captain Marvel. 
Um, I need, um, I need, I need people that watch movies. Like, like I can't listen to a super like a person that's like I like superhero movies. Like mm-hmm. you're gonna like a superhero movie. It's like with the, our friend Brent. Like he likes Jurassic Park movies. Yeah. So it's like I ask him how Jurassic World is, and he's like, yes, yeah, like an eight or a nine. Mm-hmm. You know, you know what I'm saying? Because that's what he likes. So it's like these people that like superhero movies, yeah. they're not judging it on the the wide scale of a good movies a movie. or bad. Yeah, movies, yeah, of course. You know? um, but these are people that are like involved in the comic community, mm-hmm. and they have been fair and critical nice. about the Marvel universe okay. and like all their content yeah um so i'm trusting them a little bit more but okay. so far captain marvel looking really good nice i'm excited as fuck to see it hell yeah um i don't i don't think i've done very much you know i'm still yeah. unemployed okay so riding that train yeah um so I, I just have time yes been working on an outline since last night okay for like that it's not a gay romance it's more of a coming of age story now mm. and like i'm about to like sit down and watch all the Cassavetti films mm. that we gotta watch and then watch some you, of the... Like, do you want, like, a gun to watch that with? Because, uh, yes, yes. Because, <laughs> like, if you were planning on watching, like, five movies back-to-back in a row, these are not the five movies to do it <laughs> with. <laughs> I can tell you oh, now, yeah. after watching three, like, oh, God, Brian. Yeah. <laughs> so, but here's the thing. I was going to start earlier, mm-hmm. and then I didn't. No. So I fucked myself. Mm-hmm. So now I have to ride that. I have to ride that wave. Mm-hmm. Uh because I set myself up to be angry at movies for a while. Yes. Um, <laughs> but uh, hopefully they're good. Hopefully they're good. They're um, good, but I'll not in the context it, you're going to watch them. <laughs> I'll call you if I need the gun <laughs> so you can deliver it. Uh, <laughs> but I'm also going to watch a lot of Greta Gerwig's movies. Nice. Uh, because they're kind of the vibe that I'm going for in the script, that I'm just like working with that shit. Yeah. And uh, yeah, haven't done haven't done a, a whole lot. I've been hanging out with Annie. Yeah. And then just living yeah. and existing, I guess. Okay. Yeah. I did the um I did a five K for the first time in, in an actual race. Like I've sure I've done five K in the military before, but like actually signing up and going somewhere for yeah. a race. I did that this uh Saturday. Well yesterday now. Um I How tra- was that? It was a lot of fun. Really? It was it was a lot of fun. There was a uh, there was it was over a thousand people that were out there. It was just so Fucking many people. Hell. Yeah, lots of people. And it, what was cool was like the police had all the roads blocked off, so it just kind of felt like you owned the city for a little while. Mm-hmm. And like uh, kids and and you know where in South Park is like one of the nicest areas in Charlotte. Yeah. South Park, Ballantyne, like these were all of our rich white people stay <laughs> and, and and our athletes. <laughs> but uh, but uh, <laughs> but yeah. But um, so we're running in in uh, running in the South Park area and like um, white women and older men or whatever are coming out and waving as we're going by and it was really nice but um, my motivation like I finished it in 31 minutes and 31 seconds or whatever and mm-hmm. that's not a great time you know but it was middle of the pack it was decent enough I didn't right. stop but my two motivations we were I was there with uh, Khalil and Sarah right? and Khalil you know someone who's I think he's like 24, 25 you know around Khalil's there 25? Kind of certainly was close to thirty. I don't know, whatever. I mean, maybe he's twenty eight. Yeah, yeah. he's, he's definitely not thirty. <laughs> but I'm no, he he he's him and Sarah are around the same age, like 24, 25, 26. Anyway, yeah, they're not whatever. thirty. I know that. But um, so yeah, I'm with them, and I know that I'm in better shape than them. I know this, not for a fact, but I know it. <laughs> you know, and because and I mean, I've been training like I've started working out in early February, whatever. So it's like I know that I can do this. But we're um, Khalil is beside me, and I'm like, all right. So me and Khalil will run together for a little while, and we're sitting there talking, and they're going to these announcements and everything, and like so we're right in the middle of the pack of a thousand people, and we're talking and talking and talking, then. The buzzer goes off and Khalil jumps from the middle. Like he starts like skipping. He starts skipping like we're in the dead middle of the pack. He Meh. skips 
all the people to our right and runs over to the sidewalk and then sprints on the sidewalk because like everybody's on the main road. Right, yeah. you know, And he sprints over to the sidewalk and then sprints up like a bunny and is gone out of my view. Dude, Jesus. And, and I'm stuck here in the middle of all of this chaos with these thousands of people and everybody's just trying to go. It's kind of like a traffic jam to where the car in the front could have sped off, but not everybody else has to, you know, kind of just to go. go along, yeah. yeah, yeah. so I'm sitting here tiptoeing trying to get up out of here and then so like, all right, now I got to catch up with Khalil. This motherfucker is not beating me. I don't, I don't give a fuck. Like, hell no, man. No. Yeah. So I'm still running. I'm looking for his coat. He's wearing this bright white coat. And, and I'm, I'm trying to get there. I'm getting there. And I'm, I'm going up this hill. And I'm like, I still can't see him. And I'm like, there's no way. Like, I'm running this hill hard. And I don't. there's no way he was able to do that. And I still haven't seen him yet. Yeah. So after about almost two miles and I still haven't caught him, I'm like, damn, Khalil, well, you got it, man. Like, I, I know there's some people, like my brother's a person like that, yeah. that is just kind of, you get determined and you can just fight through anything. Go yeah. Super Saiyan fucking yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah. Turns so, out he actually like sprinted a little bit and then just like jumped off the road <laughs> and then like walked over to the <laughs> walk. Yeah, but so, so, I'm, so I'm not seeing him, but it's like I still using him. That's yeah. my motivation, like to not lose to this guy and I'm still not seeing him. So I'm like, all right, I got to give up this, this because I just can't find him. Right. My next motivation, there's a woman that looks around my age like she's in her mid 30s maybe early 30s mm-hmm. and she has like a nine-year-old daughter 10-year-old at the most and i'm paced right behind them and they're going and going i was like all right i'll just stay with them for a little while and i was like because there's no way this like maybe this mother can keep this pace but there's no way this like little nine-year-old girl can yeah, keep can going it. this this freaking long you know but after two miles they're still at it this nine-year-old <laughs> and the mom are still at it brian <laughs> after two miles and it's like at that two mile mark they cranked it up and they were Gone. Jesus. This little nine-year-old girl won the time for all for all women. Really, the nine-year-old girl did. Damn. Yeah. So, so you probably do that professionally at some point. I mean, I mean yeah, but like <laughs> a, a lot of these people probably run like ten k's and actual marathons, yeah. and like this is like the furthest I can push myself. You know, with people that do this all the time. So it was like, I guess it's to be expected. But it was just, I guess it just felt good to go out there and be with people and like know that I can do it and not die. Yeah, kinda, you did you know? like you did like you got like sixteenth out of the yes out, out of my age group. group. Yeah, yeah, out of my age group. I mean, that's that's decent enough. Like I'm I'm thirty four years old, so people from thirty to thirty four. Mm-hmm. If if you in Charlotte and you're to 34 i'll probably whoop your ass yeah probably, <laughs> probably. Or, or or outrun an ass whooping that's true i feel <laughs> no. like that's the most important yep. thing because you can fight yeah but if you can run from a fight mm-hmm. you're more likely to not get hurt in yeah. a fight yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that's fucking awesome man yeah, yeah. i'm glad it went well yeah it was cool it was cool <laughs> all right so we're gonna cut and then we're gonna talk about uh blue velvet Ooh, And welcome back. Blue Velvet. Chris, do your thing. Blue Velvet. Mm. (laughs) Uh, Blue Velvet. It's a rated R. Came out in 1986. It's a drama mystery with a runtime of two hours and one minute. Uh, Rundown is college student Jeffrey Beaumont uh, returns home after his father has a stroke. When he discovers a severed ear in an abandoned field, Beaumont teams up with the detective's daughter, Sandy Williams, played by Laura Dern, to solve Mm -hmm. this mystery. They believe... A beautiful lounge singer, Dorothy Valens, may be connected with the case. And Beaumont finds himself becoming drawn into her dark, twisted world where he encounters sexually depraved psychopath Frank Booth, played by Dennis Hopper. It's uh, written and directed by David Lynch. He got a Best uh, Director nom for this. Mm-hmm. It's starring uh, Isabella Roslin. She's playing uh, Dorothy Valens. Kyle McLaughlin playing Jeffrey Beaumont, who you'll know from anything David Lynch has done. Yeah, Twin Peaks, <laughs> yep. Primordially, yep. Primarily. Yep. Um, let's see. And uh, Dennis Hopper plays Frank Booth, and Laura Dern plays Sandy Williams. Yeah. 
Can I just say before any anything starts, hmm? Laura Dern and Kyle McLaughlin. Come on, yeah. Uh, fantastic. I fucking love them. Okay. I think Laura Dern is like super talented. I, yes. I love I love watching her. I don't think I watch anything else that she was in. Okay. Um. So like I love watching her in the She uh, she does the voice in uh, F is for Family, and she was in a show called Enlightenment. That's what I love. Oh, okay. her. Um. So and then Kyle McLaughlin, like I've only seen him in Twin Peaks. That's all I know him from too. Um. And Sex in the City. Oh, well, he was in Sex in the City. Yeah. Shit. Um, so I was really pleased to see him like do something that wasn't uh, Cooper. I think it's his name. Okay. From Twin Peaks. Yeah. Um, I fucking I fucking love both of them. Okay. Uh, I think they do a great job. Hey. Th- this is David Lynch. Yes. So of course it's it's one of those movies that's like a little hard to talk about mm-hmm. because there's a bunch of this is more accessible than like Eraserhead for or, sure. Or Mulholland Drive. Or Mulholland Drive. Like, yeah. It's definitely one of his most accessible films. Yeah. But it's and like it has a clear message. Yeah. And a clear metaphor um, with, like, what the American dream is and then, like, what's underla- underneath mm. the American dream. Like, that's very clearly there. Yeah. Um, but this movie, this kind of movie is hard for me to talk about because when we talk about something like Way Beyond the Pines mm. or Blue Valentine mm. or Spielberg or any of those, like, you can identify a style okay. that's very clear, like, it's one shot mm. or it's a, it's a whole narrative thematic or a whole visual thematic. But with Lynch, you identify a style, mm. but it's a little bit more ethereal. It's a little bit more it's surreal, really. intangible. Yeah. yeah, it's a little bit more intangible yeah. than like a Spielberg shot or like a, a Dennis, a, a Sian Fran close up or okay. whatever. Mm. Um, and I, I'm just, I'm just fascinated by this film. This, this is where like the how we, um, how we look at movies differently yeah. like comes into play because like how we talk about how you love the style tone narrative and mm-hmm. I'm the narrative tone style and this movie like narrative wise like I love like mystery so like I couldn't understand Mulholland Drive like the mystery part of it and the narrative this one right here like I very much could I could right. understand what was going on so it's like I loved it for that tonally like this guy like we were talking off air a little bit about about like the this and the that and how the sausage is made mm-hmm. or how you how we wouldn't someone wouldn't be able to appreciate something from someone that did something very terrible like right. R. Kelly and it's the like seeing both sides of something and that's something that David Lynch does a great job of like not even just like the American dream of how Lumberton the area is just mm-hmm. so nice and pristine and clean and great and everything and then flipping it and showing oh this is the yang of it this is the other side of it right. this is the corrupt cop and the drugs and all of these other things that that go with it you know so it's like i love that his tone but even doing that with um with uh what's this guy's name mclaughlin with yeah, mclaughlin uh, just juxtaposing his views of that lumberton society this is what society tells you to be and how to view things with him seeing um Dennis Hopper with him doing the baby thing in the chair like him seeing that is just so juxtaposed it's like oh man he's beating her he's a terrible person yada yada and then it's like oh no like oh she's volunteer she wants this she wants me to hit her like oh the world is so different and when he finally goes to have dinner with um with the with Laura Dern he was like look at that clock Five minutes from now, you're not going to believe anything that I'm about to tell you because the world is so much different than you think that it is. Right. You know, so it's like, as far as like style, like you're right on the money because, I mean, it's just like, it is just like, it's intangible. It's so surreal. It's surreal. It's very difficult to describe his style. Yeah. You know? Which is why his last name became an adjective to describe his type of filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Like Lynch and cinema is yeah. a thing and it's entirely because of Lynch's surreal spiritualistic way of touching a movie yeah 
I'm like anything he makes has that. Like you can tell when a movie is a Lynchian. Oh yeah, it's a David Lynch movie. Oh yeah, because it's got that discomfort and it's got that yeah. that thing that's like pushing it past the surface level a little bit, where there's like a weird line of dialogue, a weird edit. Mm. There's something about the way that he tackles these films yeah. that are like just really interesting to me. And I don't think I know what those things are. Mm. Like I don't think I can describe what those things are perfectly. Yeah. Um, but like. So, like, the story of this film, let's talk about the narrative for a second. Yeah. The story is that Kyle McLaughlin is home for college, from college because his dad suffered a stroke. Yeah. And then one night, while wandering through the city, he finds a severed ear yeah. in a field, yeah. um, which is the first, like, that's the first idea that, Steve, that David Lynch had for the movie. Mm. He just had an image. It was just like, it's an ear in a field. Mm. Um, so, Kyle McLaughlin... Uh, finds the ear yeah. and then we zoom into the ear and then the entire movie plays out mm. and it becomes this neo-noir crime thriller like a noir, yeah. um, about how he gets mixed up in Dorothy Valen's life because he wanted to spy on her yeah. uh, and see what she was about because mm. um, they knew that she was involved in some illegal thing mm. and then he just gets dragged into this chain of murder and psychopathy yeah. and just sick, disturbed individuals. Yeah. Um, in the underground of the city that yeah. he lives in, yeah, and in Lincoln Street, and they tell him not to go to Lincoln Street yeah. because everybody. I feel like everybody has the indication that they know that this is happening, yeah. but nobody has any real to do anything about it. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, and desire to fix it or something. It's a, such a scary world, and, and it's not directly affecting them either in their, right. their everyday lives. Yeah. Um. So from finding the ear, he goes to Laura Dern's dad. Yeah. Um. Which so, is the police detective. Yeah. And he tells him about it, yep. and then the dad goes, "Don't investigate. Mm -mm. Stay out of it. Yeah, because it's a fucking ear yeah. that you found on the ground. Something's clearly wrong." Yes. Uh, and then Laura Dern's character, Sandy, meets up with him outside, and then she tells him, "You know, they're involved in murder," and that piques Kyle's interest, mm. and that's what sort of catalyzes the entirety of the film. Yes, that interest. So they. Go ahead. No, I was just saying, like, he may be yeah. one of my favorite protagonists, and I've never been a fan of a protagonist. I'm an antagonist, um, like, right. but, like, the, because of the way that he changes, he, he goes from being the Lumberton, everything is perfect, good person, right. and then he peeks into the darkness. Yeah. Like, that change. Like, he doesn't, like, change for the worse and become a bad person, mm -hmm. you know, but he just has his worldview opened up so much, and, like, that's what I really loved about him as a yeah. protagonist in this movie. Like, his change, he does, he, he has a huge change, but it's not, like, for the worst or right. Or, you know, he's not he's not a huge great super great person or anything like that either. You know, he's just he's just a dude. He's just a dude who has his worldview completely shattered and put together anew. Right. You know, it's it's really cool. The, the, there was a scene where you, where you were talking about uh, when um, he's doing the investigating, mm -hmm. and I, it was still weird to me. It's just like why in the hell? Which he's like, all right, I'll beep the horn four times and mm -hmm. let you know, you know, because you're sneaking around in somebody's house, you know. So I'll beep the horn four times. Why would you fucking piss on the house? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> it's like you piss and you flush. Right. <laughs> you're making all this noise, bro. Like what? <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, that's what I was like, what are you doing, man? Hold on. <laughs> God, that pee that not having that piss would have saved them so much more time and trauma. <laughs> that whole movie doesn't happen. <laughs> the whole movie doesn't happen if he didn't take that piss. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So uh, after finding out that Dorothy Valance is involved in some shape or form mm. with the murders and the illegal things that are happening, yeah. um, they decide to break into her house yeah. uh, to find a way to sneak back in to see what's going on. Yeah. 
he comes in as an there's a there's a metaphor with the bugs that I want to talk about okay. later. Um, so he breaks in as a bug exterminator, mm-hmm. steals a key, yep. and then comes back comes back later. And then this is the catalyst of the movie. Like mm-hmm. this is the inciting incident of mm-hmm. the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, which is that he hides in the closet after Dorothy Valens gets home early, and then sh- he witnesses um, Frank Booth come in and then just abuse the hell out of Dorothy Valens. Mm-hmm. And it changes him in some way. Like, it's the first time that he's been face-to-face with this, yeah. and he's concerned about this woman, but he's also, he's like... kind of uh, turned on a little bit, too. Like, he's still, like, he's not, like, turning away. Like, he's not wincing, like, oh, but he's, like, intrigued. Like, it's just, like, something he's never thought of before. Right. So it's, like, he's super interested in what's happening. Yeah, and 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 I, and I think it's more... It's an interest born more out of, like, morbidity than, like, actually being turned on. Like, he mm-hmm. just... It's just something that's so out there mm-hmm. that he can't seem to face away. Okay. And that scene is... That scene is probably one of the most disturbing scenes in the entire film. Like, it's hard to watch. Okay. Um... And there's actually, there's a moment in that scene where Frank Booth slaps Dorothy mm-hmm. Valens yep. and they had to cut that scene out because of the MPAA rating. Oh. And so, because they didn't want to portray the violence as harsh as it could have. He still punches her like a number of times. Like. Right. <laughs> Which makes no sense for the MPAA. Yeah. I think they're rubbish half the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, they had to put an insert of of um, Kyle mm. watching that. And I think it made the scene more disturbing. Yeah, because reactions are so yeah. much worse than the action, <laughs> you know, looking at it. Um, so that happens. And then he gets entangled into the saw web, but he, he learns that Dorothy Valen's husband and son were kidnapped. Yep. And then he feels an odd sense of obligation to help her. Mm. But he's also, he also engages her in a sexual relationship mm. um, that is born out of trauma for mm. Dorothy Valen's. Yes. Yes. just sort of taking control of herself and her body. Mm-hmm. And it's just it's disturbing. It's uncomfortable. That's, I love that's what I, I love like that that worldview and um, just understanding human beings mm-hmm. and him not understanding that because he's never seen this this part of the world or seen people that interact this way. So it's like at first he's like, why is she being beaten? And then she's just accepting it. And then she kind of like they do a close up of her after she's hit, and she kind of just like gives us a relief type of thing, like not a smile, yeah. but just like ah oh, yes, this is what I deserve. Right. I should be getting beat like this. And the guy watching it, McLaughlin from the 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 closet he's not understanding this dynamic at all right and when he's finally out of the closet and there's a whole thing about him being her dressing him down like that mm-hmm. i want to go into about you know him just being the the perfect uh, personification of lumberton and right. her and this is the way that he wants to be seen by the world this is how he can interact with his perfect blonde kind of girlfriend and her police father and you can fit into society looking like this and she takes all that away immediately right you know and i was also seeing about her getting control of him yes because he had watched her get undressed mm-hmm. and then so, and she made him now go I'm in through. control yeah, yeah right yeah and uh so he, he does all of that and then when um they, they kiss for a bit and then she's like oh do you like that would you like when i hit you or, or stab you like when she has a knife he's mm-hmm. like would you like this and no no i don't like that <laughs> i don't like you know violent things and so like that they get into the bed and then she's still asking to be hit and to be hit and be hit and he was like no i don't want to do that then eventually he comes around to it and he does it mm-hmm. and he was like oh okay like she kind of wants this like this isn't super bad for me but it's like he doesn't understand like how this was born that she's looking like she's accepting of it and that she wants it mm-hmm. is born from the trauma you know that happened with, with, yeah. Fra- with Frank mm-hmm. you know so it's like he sees uh, when Frank and uh, McLaughlin see each other Frank looks at him he was like oh me and you are the same right <laughs> which which is what I appreciated out of this movie is mm-hmm. that 
uh, what the fuck is his name? Like Dennis the actual character name? Dennis Hopper. Oh, no, no, Frank. No. Frank. Uh, no, no, no. The Kyle McLaughlin's character. Uh, Kyle McLaughlin. Jeffrey Beaumont. Jeffrey. Jeffrey Beaumont. Yeah. Um, when Jeffrey Beaumont, like I like that he didn't become the next Frank. Birth, exactly. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. like there was a moment where we thought that he was heading that way. Yeah. And then we had the catharsis of him realizing how fucked how up big, everything was, yeah. breaking down and crying, yep. and then realizing I have to get rid of this. That's my favorite moment, moment in the scene. Yeah. That realization of like him thinking back to like hitting her and like just like oh we, we're both enjoying this. Like I don't understand it, but then he finally understood and he yeah. broke down crying. He yeah. was like I don't care if she's asking me to hit her and it looks like she enjoys it. Like he it came together for him in that moment, and I was like. Oh, that's good directing, yeah. bro. There's <laughs> really nothing was. to say it. You know, it's just him thinking. And, and that's it. Like, it's good use of flashback. Like, mm-hmm. it, the cutaways are like two seconds at yeah. most. Like, one second, it's two quick. seconds. Yeah. And, 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 and it's just like, the moment is so good. And Kyle McAuflin did a great job at, like, portraying. Because yeah. Jeffrey is a pretty bland character yes. in terms of, like, he doesn't really have any harsh reactions to anything. No. Even when he's scared, he's just kind of, like, stoic, really, just yeah. stoic. Yeah. And even when he's angry, he's also stoic. Like, yeah. he's just really not a reactive guy. Not really. And I think that's what Kyle McLaughlin shines at, as an act, mm. at, shines at being an actor. Yeah. Because he's the same way in Twin Peaks. Yeah. Um, so... I think they really took a great advantage of that soicness and then having him break down in that dramatic moment where he realizes how fucked up everything that's happening in the city yeah. is. Uh, I really, really enjoyed that. I think that was a really nice touch and I think it sold the movie for me mm. because I would expect him to become the next iteration of Frank, yes. Booth, Frank Booth because of the trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, but instead he fights back against the trauma and takes control of the situation himself yeah. by going to the police. Yep. And uh, the movie ends on a positive note, mm. which is... It's just it's just bizarre for like a movie that's as dark as disturbing as this one to end on a really good positive note. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that the narrative for this movie is one that's like it's clear, it's concise, it's accessible. You can follow it, yeah. and you can understand what was happening. There's no in in like ambiguity. between. No harm. Yeah. yeah, there's no ambiguity of like I was never confused about what was happening. No. Um, it was good. It was a there great was, narrative. This Frank Booth, uh, Dennis Hopper, like he he. Like he does this from for he me. He acts the shit out of it's like whatever wow. He's doing. I was um I was watching this movie again with Tessa, and she was like, he rides that fine line, like he rides like a Nicolas Cage line on this, from being like crazy madman to brilliant performer. Yeah, it's like he's right there on the line, and she was like, I can't tell if he's just doing the most fantastic acting job ever, you know, or whatever. But I'm like, yeah, he's, <laughs> I can't tell if he's the worst or the best. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I was like, yeah, he wrote he wrote that line so well, and I mean, it's just. Another thing, it's like, why this movie being so dark, and I've seen a lot of dark movies, this person that likes things like that, mm-hmm. but David Lynch, even within all of this, these crazy, this crazy imagery and uh, the stories that he tells, he, ha- he has something to say. Right. Yeah, yeah. You know, like as, as, a, as a director, as a writer, he has a point and a message that he's trying to get across. And that's something that I really love from him as a director. I think from all the directors I love, they have a message. They have something to say. They have something yeah. to say with, with the movie. And he definitely was. And his message comes across so much uh, easier in this as opposed yeah. to anything I've seen before. Particularly, I feel like because people cite Eraserhead as mm-hmm. the most Lynchian of the Lynch movies. Yeah. yeah. And in a way it is because the imagery it's, is very like oh, yeah. surreal yeah but narratively it's yeah. pretty concise yeah like i can follow short, yeah. mulholland drive for me is the Ooh. movie that was just like what the fuck is going on here lynch you know we, like i've watched that <laughs> three times and one time we did it for the podcast didn't we like still don't understand still that shit. No idea. 
Um, but the beauty about Lynch movies is yeah. that it doesn't matter what he wants to, to be as a director. Mm. For him, the experience of making it is making it. Yeah. And then whatever you as an audience member consume out of it, yeah. that's your problem. Mm. And he refuses to elaborate no. on his Wonder. movies like that, yeah. which I think is genius. Man, there was there's something with what you were saying about the uh, the bugs, and I don't I didn't research enough into that. Yeah, too. It's yeah. like I'm not, but um, thing that I researched into was um, Sandy says something, and they're connected. As soon as you said the bug thing, the very last scene is the but, robin eating the yeah. Bug. And I, I was thinking about the birds and the robins and yeah. stuff like that, but I didn't connect the the bird the the book. But uh, Sandy says I had a dream. In fact, it was the night that I met you. In the dream, there was our world, and the world was dark because there wasn't any robins, and the robins represented love. And for the longest time, there was this darkness. And all of a sudden, thousands of robins were set free, and they flew down and brought this blinding light of love. And it seemed that love would make all the difference, and it did. So I guess it means that there is trouble until the robins come. Right. You know. So it's like I, I was thinking about that like that metaphor within it but the bug thing I didn't like because the only th- time I saw the bug was the bug in the mouth and I forgot about that exterminator part altogether. Yeah. so so what's happening with the bug and I have the I have like the direct quote in here from Wikipedia but what's happening with the bugs is that the most consistent symbolism in the film is an insect motif introduced at the end of the first scene mm. so when the dad has a stroke yeah. they zoom into the ground and yeah. you see a bunch of bugs crawling yes the, and like that's after being presented with the American dream of the town yeah. right yeah. so the idea the is infestation that, oh shit yeah, the infestation of the city underground that's mm. happening behind the American dream yeah. that's the first time that we see it and that's the quote. Uh, it is generally recognized as a metaphor for the city on the world that Jeffrey will soon discover under the surface of his own suburban Reagan-esque paradise. Yeah. The severed ear in the f- he finds is being overrun by black ants. Mm. The bug motif is recurring throughout the film, most notably in the, bus- in the bug-like gas mask that Frank wears, mm. but also the excuse that Jeffrey uses to gain access to Dorothy's apartment. He claims to be an insect exterminator. Mm. One of Frank's sinister accomplices is also consistently identified through the yellow jacket he wears, possibly reminiscent of a type of wasp. Mm. And then finally, a robin eating a bug on a fence becomes a topic of discussion in the last scene of the film. Yeah. The robin mentioned earlier by Sandy when she recounted her dream represents love conquering evil. Yeah. So there's a motif that bugs are always the a signifier part. of evil mm. and they're corroding and damaging the suburban paradise yeah. dream. Yeah. Um, and so when Jeffrey disguises himself as an exterminator, mm. what Lynch is selling us there, in my opinion, is saying that this is the kid that will unwillingly put an end to this. Yeah. He is the exterminator. Yeah. He will break that CD underground world that exists because of Frank Booth, yeah. you know? And, and so, like, I really, really, really fucking love that imagery, that buck motif, yeah. because it's very purposeful. Mm. And not only is it purposeful, it's very concise on what it means. Yeah. So there's no real guesswork nope. there. It's there. It's happening. Yeah. Um, so that's what I want. That's that's why I think the bugs are significant in the film. Yeah. And that's why you see them at the first scene of the movie. You see them at the end of the first scene. Yep. And then you and see the them end. at the end of the film yep. with the robins eating the bugs. Yep. Because that means love that love conquers, conquers evil. Yeah. Um, so I think that's fucking fantastic. Yeah. That's great. Um, the other thing in symbolism that I found is the severed ear. Okay. Uh, and I'm just going to straight up read the paragraph. Yeah. Um, the severed ear that Jeffrey discovers is also a key symbolic element leading Jeffrey into danger. Indeed, just as Jeffrey's struggles begin, the audience is treated to a nightmare sequence in which the camera zooms into the canal of the severed, decomposing ear. We have that scene at the very end, too, when they zoom in on zoom to um, the zoom out of uh, where the main characters are. Yeah. yeah. 
And so uh, when Jeffrey finally comes through his hellish ordeal in Scathe, the ear canal shot is replayed only in reverse, mm-hmm. zooming out through Jeffrey's own ear as he relaxes in his yard on a summer day. Yeah. Um, so the ear being the catalyst, we have that. It's, I wouldn't call it like a thematic as a visual motif of going like we went into the city underground and mm-hmm. now we've crawled out of it. Yeah. Um, and it's just a really nice visual way yeah. to mark that his narr- this narrative is over. Yeah. And I I really like that. I really like that. Yes, touch. like he 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 crushes that. And the, like writing wise, he he crushes it. As far as the director, he crushes this. Mm-hmm. But the movie shines through for me with Dennis Hopper. Like it begins and ends with Dennis Hopper's just ridiculous, over the top performances. Like this, or and there's a symbolism that he he brings up all the time that mm-hmm. now is dark. You know, yeah. we get we get that now is dark thing all the time. Or as soon as he walks in into the room and there's lights and everywhere, immediately let's cut all these lights off. Now it's dark. Now let's fuck. I'll fuck anything that moves. You know, he's just like and he, <laughs> and he has this aversion against being looked at, mm-hmm. um, look which at has something to do with the darkness. Like mm-hmm. he's just so uncomfortable being examined and being I feel looked like at as a person. I feel like it's that juxtaposition mm-hmm. that um that light versus darkness. As soon as the light goes away, then that the dark things can happen. The right. fucking, the the drugs, the the uh, corruption, all of those things can happen. Now it's dark. Now I can play. I can go out here and be right. myself now. You know, so it's like I I just I love how just David Lynch just He's a he's a super thinker to where it's just like sometimes it gets a little too in depth like mm-hmm. Mulholland Drive or sometimes in the race your head to where I was just like whoa you got a you're throwing a lot at us right here man like yeah. all right yeah but he he throws a lot a lot at us especially here too like there's just so many like the imagery symbolism metaphors like he he he, he cooks this shit he cooks this shit and I've been reading his, his book I've been late David Lynch and Catherine uh, Catherine McSomething okay. Um, they wrote a book together, um, and it's about David Lynch's life. It's called Room to Remember. Okay. And it's, it's interviews with his friends, and then David Lynch writes a passage, hmm. uh, or writes a chapter of the book, directly after Catherine writes about David Lynch's life. Okay. Sort of in a response format to yeah. what Catherine has just said. Yeah. And it's been really interesting to see where his background is, hmm. because he was born in the late 40s, early 50s. Yeah. And uh, you see how the the rise of the American dream was super prevalent in his life. Yeah. He lived in a small town in, in Illinois. Okay. And he grew up in the suburbs and in a relatively wealthy family. Mm-hmm. And he had these great childhood experiences. And then, but you can see as he grows older and he starts to move, that little brand of cynicism mm-hmm. starts to sneak in. Yeah. And, and I, I think it's really great to see that dark sense of humor that's born out of incorporating that cynicism. Yeah. And then that rejecting it was sort of embracing it when the fact that both things happen at the same time. Yes. Um, which I really appreciate from Lynch's writing. I feel like he's always willing to accept that within the darkness of the world, there's also the parts that make it good. Yeah. And and a lot of that comes from his upbringing and his background. Mm-hmm. And his friends always say, it's like that dark classic sense of humor that David Lynch has yeah. comes from his time with us as being kids. He's always had that. Yeah. Um, so I thought it was interesting to like trace that from his background, from the book that I'm reading, to see in this movie now. Yeah. And I just kind of understand. I just kind of understand them as like a director him. a little yeah. bit better. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I think he's a fucking fantastic, brilliant oh. director. Yeah. There's yeah. no doubt about it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but I don't know how to watch his movies more than once. A lot of the times, you know. 
Uh, this is the only one that I've seen voluntarily more than once, I believe. No, no, Mulholland Drive. That wasn't voluntarily either. So, yeah, this, <laughs> I, actually, I actually enjoyed this one, and it's mostly because of Dennis Hopper. Like, there's there's so many movies that I watch and I can respect because mm-hmm. I know how intelligent the director is and that they're doing things that, like, they're technically just doing everything right. But this one right here, I enjoy it because of that Dennis Hopper performance. Really? Like. He he like I haven't seen many movies to where like besides like a Nicolas Cage to where it just mm-hmm. gets a little bit ridiculous. There was a um, a movie that we seen recently with Nick Cage. It might have been Mandy. Mandy. Yeah, Mandy. yeah, Mandy. It's like so so stuff like that. It's like when but that's like so ridiculous to where you couldn't nominate him for any kind of award for that. But it's very fun to see, yeah. you know. But uh, with Dennis Hopper, he balances that line of just being manic and also brings it in just enough. There was a um, there's a scene where um, where he actually goes to get drugs, and I'm still. Not sure what kind of drugs he was on, but <laughs> ecstasy. I'm assuming. Oh, yeah, but, uh, that was yeah. a pill. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but uh, he goes over, and the guy that um he he, he starts singing about this uh, clowns and Sandman, candy covered clown. Yeah, candy covered clown, Sandman yeah. thing. And then the candy guy colored, candy color. Okay, yeah. So he starts singing the song. The guy he holds up a light and starts singing the song after he pops the drug into his mouth. Mm. And I'm like, wow, like what kind of drug dealer is you're like almost like a doctor. It's like I won't even pr- I won't even give you like five pills and you go away. Like nope, the only thing that your only drug you're gonna be doing is a drug I put in your mouth. Yep. You're like, what is that? <laughs> you know. But anyway, like after after he takes that pill, he swallows, and then he stands about two feet away from the guy that's now performing, and just stares at him. Yep. You know, just. And then, then you can see him like his emotions, like fuck, fuck. He's about to break out of. his like, oh, oh no, no, I'm, I'm okay, I'm yep. okay. You know, it's just like his performance there is just like, whoa, Dennis. And he does a similar thing in the. In the bar, like mm. in the in the lounge bar, okay. when he's listening to Dorothy Valen sing Blue Velvet, yeah. he has that same visage about him, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I don't know what the fuck that was about. Mm. I, I don't understand Dennis Hopper's character. Okay. I find him disturbing and oh. terrifying. Okay. <laughs> Um, so like like Dennis Hopper's character, like I get why he's important to the film narratively. Do you don't understand like the him like how he's creating her, you know, after his image, and then we think about how he was created from someone that's off camera. You know, it's kind of like I have empathy for his character because I have empathy for her character. Like she didn't want to be that person that says yes, I deserve to be beaten, I deserve to right. be like this, but he created that, and that's kind of like I felt like the message was from him that you just automatically can't become those people the same way that Kyle couldn't just become them he wasn't right. that i mean yeah know, born through trauma trauma begets trauma yeah um but frank booth as a character was so far gone for me mm. that i had no sense of empathy for him okay he was just too gone and too power hungry yes and manipulative yeah. and sort of demanding of everyone around them mm. and actually what i, I and, and this might be a stretch okay. i don't know but the way that i see frank booth's character is i see him as a parody of american culture <laughs> You know, power hungry, drug addicted, um, manic, sexually perverted, Mm. disturbing, sick, twisted. I see him as like, I see him as the counterpart to Jeffrey, Jeffrey's interpretation of being clean cut, the suburban perfect American boy. I see Frank as the direct opposite of him. Yes. Um, which again strikes to the idea of like that yin and yang mm-hmm. Robinson Bugs type situation. Yeah. Kyle McLaughlin's character being the Robin, yep. Frank Booth being the bug, yep. and then Kyle killing Frank Booth's character. Yeah. 
I get the symbolism there, and I get what is necessary to the narrative, yep. but there was not a scene where he wasn't in the film hmm. that I went like I could I could have taken two more minutes of him. It's just like I just wanted him gone immediately. I mean, he's supposed <laughs> to do that. It's kind of like yeah. the Joffrey in Game of Thrones. You're not supposed mm-hmm. to watch him, be like, "Oh, I like this guy." Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's 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 doing he's doing his job super well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's just like yeah, his performance is amazing. Yeah, but the character itself was so far gone mm-hmm. that even with the message of like trauma begets trauma. Yeah. I couldn't quite have empathy for him. Right. Um, mainly because the movie doesn't paint him as someone that went through that as well. Um, um, it, no, it doesn't show him, but it's just like, uh, that's what the message is kind of showing. Mm-hmm. And, and the reason that Kyle doesn't turn into that and that uh, you're just like me. Like, I, right. I feel like he definitely was trying to show that he wasn't just someone who created himself. Right. You know, he was created. And I don't think that he necessarily wants you to have empathy for him, yeah. but it does give you the opportunity to feel empathy if you choose to. Right. You know, and and just, I guess, uh, just as a philosophy, like, I have a hard time, like, pointing the blame at, well, not even blame, but just, like, feeling any kind of way towards someone that's acting out like that because I'm like, who created that? Right. You know, and, and when I think about that a lot because we had arguments about like the millennial things and people saying so much about, you know, us in the generation. But I'm like, okay, do you want to like just say that I'm a shit bag or do you want to look at how this process was created? Right. You know, because if we're not looking at that and just like, oh, nope, 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 we're not going to look mm-hmm. at that problem. You know, so it's like, yeah, like he's definitely a problem. Like there's some terrible things. Like he's not redeemable, but it's just like, yeah, like I think there's some, and, and it just with the way that he's fighting within himself, yeah. I can just, you can see that there's more to him. Right, yeah. there's an opportunity for empathy there. And yeah. I think that opportunity for empathy is presented through Jeffrey through Beaumont. Through Jeffrey and the, the one, um, yeah. Because we see him struggle with this, yeah. and then we see him break away from the dark path yeah. um, to go to the police and like fix the situation. Yeah. So I get where you're coming from. Yeah. Um, I don't like the guy, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, but yeah, just, yeah. I, just I'm saying yeah. I, I know that you don't like him. Yeah. Um, but he's not what made the movie for me. What okay. made the movie for me was the style mm. and the like, the narrative of the film because yeah. everything was so concisely put together mm. um, that I was just like, fuck yeah. Like, this is a really well put together no, film. Yeah. yeah, I think that makes the movie. I'm just saying like the reason yeah. I'll go back <laughs> yeah, like if I'm going, like for entertainment value, like yeah, I go back gotcha. for him. <laughs> Some yeah. tiny things that I want to ask you about, see if you notice. Do you, right. Lynch uses wide angle lenses weird. Okay. <laughs> Do you see that? He's uh, like in the car. Uh, when Laura Dern first gets in the car with Kyle McLaughlin, okay, um, you see that it's a shot from the trunk of the car because it's a convertible. Mm-hmm. So the camera is very clearly fixed on the trunk of the car. Yeah. Um, but it's a wide angle, so it like distorts the image. Um, it's a twenty-four millimeter. I can't. I can't remember this and, shot for some maybe reason. Maybe not a twenty-four. I think it's a. I think it has to be a fourteen or an eighteen millimeter lens. Okay. Um, because the the straight lines don't look straight. Is mm-hmm. what I'm saying. Yeah. And it looks like a curved. curved. Yeah. yeah. And he does that a couple of times. He does that in the car in that scene. Okay. He does that when they're driving to that house dance that him and Laura Dern went to. Yes, uh, I've seen it there. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so like the shot outside, like yep. it, it just uses a really weird white lens. Okay, yeah. Um, some of the conversations are presented with this weird white lens, like some of the two shots. Hmm. And like, I'm one, like I, I just don't know why the two, what that wide shot is there, what that wide I angle is there. Didn't even notice it until you brought that up. Yeah. Um, and, like, I literally wrote, like, Lynch uses wide angles in a bizarre way. I wonder why he chose that. <laughs> yeah. Like, I have no conclusion, no anything about it. Yeah. He just uses them weird. Um, and another thing that he noticed is that he's not, he's not always super concerned with the composition of the shot. No. Um, uh, there yeah. were a couple of shots that were tilted mm-hmm. and not parallel to the ground or not level. Yep. Now it's just like, like, I guess, but with someone as purposeful as Lynch... That has like, to be there has to be a choice. Yeah. I just don't know what the fuck the choice is. 
maybe it just fits all into that that world of just keeping you off balance. I guess that, yeah. Because it definitely feels like that. If you're watching the movie, you feel like yeah. kind of like, that looks weird. I don't yeah. like that. And yeah. maybe that's like the wide angle is for. Maybe. Maybe he wants to make you feel like you're watching them, but you shouldn't be. Mm. Or something like that. And yeah. he uses wides to do it. Um, but it's 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 bizarre. And I just wanted to see if you noticed it too. Not until you pointed it out. No, uh-uh. Uh, I also wrote, some of his shots aren't necessarily straight. I don't know why, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. then the other thing that I really, like, one of my favorite scenes mm. is Dorothy Valens is singing Blue Velvet in the bar, mm. and he's with Laura Dern this time, and then the drive home, yeah. that cut, they start to drive home, yeah. but the music is still playing. Yes, from and, earlier, yeah. Uh, it's just, like, fucking gorgeous, like, ominous drive back home. Because yeah. I feel like that's when we knew that that Jeffrey Beaumont was in too deep. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. he was infatuated with this woman, and he was going to go back and Went do something far. again. Yeah. And so I think that, like, it just had, a, like, like, a nice little wonderful tone to it. Yeah. There was something that she kept repeating that I was trying to see what that metaphor was supposed to be about. Like after they had sex, she mm-hmm. goes on and says a few times, like he, you, you put your evil in me or you put your, put your disease in your me. disease in me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like what, what is, what is she going on about your disease? I think like that's that, a metaphor for something because he didn't actually give her your disease. disease I would assume. Yeah. I think that has to do more with Frank mm-hmm. than Jeffrey. Yeah. I think that's just what she uses. Cause Frank is so obviously disturbed and diseased in some way. Yeah. Um, Yes, that yeah. that depravity, that that same thing that Frank has, and then he accepted that into hitting her and to yeah. you know getting off on that, and it was like, oh yeah, now you're that too. You put that that um that bug thing that we're looking at, yeah. you know, from that side of it into me. Yeah, I think I think I think that's what I'm yeah. gonna go for on that answer. Mm-hmm. Not entirely sure. No, yeah, yeah. Um, but I I'm assuming that has something to do with that. No, yeah, that um, that, that fits. It's so like it's disturbing. Like the movie has a. The movie has an air that could be like Roger Ebert reviewed the movie and he, he even, yeah, he fucking hated, he hated it. hated this. Um, <laughs> and he even went into side Lynch as being misog- mis- misogynistic mm-hmm. um, because of the treatment of um, Dorothy Valens character. I didn't get that from this um, movie. Which I forgot, I forgot her actor. She's Ingrid Bergman's daughter. For, uh, let's um, see, Rosaline, uh, Isabel Rosaline. Yeah, Isabel Rosaline. Mm-hmm. Um, She's fucking great in it, by the way. Like her performance, she's fucking fantastic. Hell yeah! Um, but uh, fuck, I lost my train of thought. What was but, I talking um, about? Robert uh, Ebert right. saying misogynistic. Um, and so, like, that is a very practical concern for this movie to have because mm. it definitely, like, it gets fucking out of hand. Yeah. Um, but it's one of those moments where, like, the narrative and what's going on story-wise mm. motivates that treatment. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that the message that Lynch is trying to say motivates that yep. treatment. Um, so yes, it's problematic yeah, that it's sure, happening. Problematic, but like not misogynistic in the way like I, I can like Jennifer can, Jason Lee in the Hateful Eight was. I was yeah. going directly to that. Right. <laughs> like wow. Yeah, exactly. Like you know, as soon as you see it, like you know, and like yeah, man, that's yeah, it's, it's a little different. It's yeah. a little different. Um, so I, I I I wonder why Roger Ebert fucking hated the movie because like I wasn't comfortable watching the movie. Yeah. I didn't necessarily love watching the movie. It's it's so it's so weird. Like as a movie, when the movie very first comes out, and you'll see how a critic like I kind of feel like he 
maybe just thought he was bigger than he was just got a little too big for his britches. It's like if there's if there's a movie of someone because at the time Blue Velvet is the first one that he was acknowledged for by um, like the the masses. Well, it's a movie right after Dune, which was a critical failure. Exactly. Yes. You know? Yes. So it's like so now it's like you're coming out and you got Roger Ebert who's known in the in the business game. I know good for bad, and then you can take this director who may not be good. We don't even know if he's good right. or not. You know because we're still in the moment, and he can just go ahead and bury this guy. This right. guy. This like this is the way that I see movies. This is the way that I say a movie is good, and it doesn't fit that structure. Because if if I if I say this is good, then we'll see more people that don't share my view of what a good movie is. Right. And I, and it's just because there's no justification for a one out of a four. Like yeah. it, from any kind of person that watches a movie critically, there's no justification for that. Yeah. For this movie, there really isn't. No. There just isn't. But I understand why the reaction to the movie is to give it a one. Mm. Because it's it's hard to watch, the narrative is disturbing. Yes, and the imagery is also very disturbing. Mm. It's it's just like it's a movie that is not meant to be like commercially suitable for anything. No, um, but thank God for cold people yeah. <laughs> that watch movies and name them cold classics, mm. um, because this movie is rated as one of it's a fucking masterpiece. Yes, uh, of like cinema. Yeah. Uh, particularly in the way that it portrays American culture and how it makes fun of it while still acknowledging that, you know, we're living in it and like, this is what's happening. Mm -hmm. And this is the other thing that's happening and they coexist. And sometimes they blend together in really fucked up ways, but nine times out of 10, you can step away from it and become good and not have to seep into the city underground. And I think the movie ends with that weird sense of optimism. It does with the Um, bird and the, uh, eating the the beetle or whatever kind of bird it is. Yeah, it is a beetle. Um, so I, I love that. I like unexpectedly love this movie because now when I watch a Lynch thing, my mind immediately goes just like, I might fucking hate this, Mm -hmm. but you understand what he's going to be doing. Yeah. Right. Yep. Um, cause the razor had made me incredibly uncomfortable. Mm But the anxiety was part of that film. Yeah. Mulholland Drive, I was just like, I don't know if I like Mulholland Drive. I still don't know. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like I really don't know if I like it. Yeah. <laughs> but I've watched it two times. Yeah. So yeah. I guess there's something there. There's something there, yeah. Um, but this is one of his most accessible movies. Yeah. And it's evident that's the reason why it became the one that put him on the map yeah. as David Lynch. Yeah. And I see a lot of like humor things that come across in Twin Peaks in this film, particularly with Kyle McLaughlin's character, yeah. the way that he's atop a scene, the stoicness of uh, Jeffrey Beaumont. Yeah. And like, in my head, I started crafting a theory. It's just like, what if Jeffrey Beaumont becomes Cooper in Twin Peaks after this whole thing and decides to become a detective? If you, you get know? on YouTube, you can find a connection. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, definitely yeah, I promise you, you can. <laughs> and I was like, that was like a super fun thing. It's like, I think yeah. Jeffrey Beaumont divorced Laura Dern's character mm-hmm. and then just fucking went to detective school and became a detective and ended up in Twin Peaks. I mean, why, yeah. why, why not? I mean, Lord Dern's dad is a detective. Right. You yeah. know, he's already doing the police work anyway. <laughs> it's not out of the fucking question. Yeah, that's not a big stretch. Uh, it's not a reach. The Lynchian universe. Yeah. The cinematic Lynchian universe. I can see that. CLU. Let's yeah. do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, overall, I think this movie is absolutely fantastic. Yeah, it's pretty good. I don't know. I don't know. Like, a lot of people won't enjoy it. Mm. It's one of those movies where, like, it's hit or miss for somebody. Oh, yeah. Um, but like, there's just so much to learn about Lynch's filmmaking. Mm -hmm. And like, he's one of those filmmakers that I find incredibly fascinating because even if I don't like his movie, I have to go like, what the fuck was that about? Like, Mm -hmm. I gotta, I gotta know what that was. And so I spend fucking 40 minutes Googling 
Yeah. Goddamn David Lynch. I'm reading his book. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think there's I think there's a problem like in society that people have an issue with uh, good, bad, and they weigh way too much on good and bad on what they actually enjoy as a person. Right. You know, it's like what Chris enjoys doesn't determine what is good or bad. Right. Like you can filter you can filter blue velvet through me. And because I don't enjoy this type of thing, but I do, <laughs> you know, right. but if it happened to be something I didn't, that I didn't enjoy, then, oh, this is a bad movie. And I can show this same movie to a lot of people that will say it's a bad movie. Right. You know, I, I can, a number of people, you know, some of them that I even kind of respect, like, I seriously, like, but, yeah. but the thing is, it's like, I think too much is, and it's a little bit of ego, maybe, that is just that what I enjoy, what I love is what is good or right. what is bad, you know, so it's like, it's kind of with that. So it's like. This is a very good movie. And we just talk about respecting movies. This mm-hmm. is a movie that you should ha- you should respect no matter what. And yeah. Robert uh, Ebert, get the fuck out of here! Like one out of four. <laughs> like like there's just that's, that make no sense. There's yeah. no sense for that, you know. But like you said, it, it is a hard watch for general public if you're not coming here to like study a um, to study Lynch. Mm-hmm. Then I don't know if it can recommend this I movie think, to you. I think I wouldn't really. even go as far like it's a hard watch for anyone that's not studying Lynch. I think it's a hard watch for anybody that doesn't appreciate the cold classic side of filmmaking. Okay. Um, yeah. Like if you're into the cold classic and you're into the weird sort of cinema yeah. and into the, not, I wouldn't go as far as avant-garde, but with tonalities of weirdness yeah. and things that don't really make sense yeah. and that strays away from convention, yeah. then you're not going to like this movie. But if you're into all of that and you appreciate when a director strays away from the mainstream a little bit, yeah and just plays with your emotions a little bit more than usual, mm-hmm. then chances are that you'll enjoy the movie. I think so, too. Um, I, I want to read something about... Because I think there's a good note okay. about how this movie came to exist in the way that David Lynch talked about it. Yeah. So I said, The film story originated from three ideas that crystallized in the filmmaker's mind over a period of time starting as early as 1973. Okay. The movie came out in 1986, mm-hmm. by the way. The first idea was only a feeling, and the title Blue Velvet. Lynch told Cineast in 1987, the second idea was an image of a severed human ear lying in a field. Hmm. I don't know why it had to be an ear, except it needed to be an opening of a part of the body, a hole into something else. The ear sits on the head and goes right into the mind, so it felt perfect. Lynch remarked in a 1986 interview that the third idea was Bobby Vinson's classic rendition of the song Blue Velvet mm-hmm. and the mood that came with that song, a mood, a time, and things that were off that time. Lynch eventually spent two years writing that draft. Nice. So, and and he talks about this in the book too. Yeah. That and he actually uses the phrase "things that were off that time" because he's describing his background. Mm. And it was just like the 1950s and everything that happened in the 1950s mm. is decidedly a thing that only happened in the 1950s. We're never gonna get those years back. Yeah. And I think that he's sort of obsessed with that idea of things that were once there in time yeah. and can no longer be repeated. And I think Blue Velvet is a great example of that. Oh, yeah. that's that's very elegant. The yeah. things that were there in time that cannot be repeated and him being a product of the 50s in America. Like wow. Yeah, I mean yeah, yeah. I might have to read that book after after It's that's really nice. good. It's a room to remember. Um it's Kate, I forget the other actress, uh, the other writer. I'll google it while we do the right. the cut down, but it's just he's he's tracing to this idea of filmmaking that not everything needs to be explained. Yeah. Sometimes can just be a feeling. Yeah. And that's comforting, you yeah. know, because we spend a lot of time with ideas. Oh, yeah. And sometimes it's okay if they don't make a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Um, but anyway, that's been Blue Velvet hey. by David Lynch. Yes. 
Uh, I think one of the most provoking movies that I've seen in a long time in terms of like filmmaking. Mm. And um, I absolutely recommend it. But it is an uncomfortable watch. Yeah. And I think that you have to be aware of that if you want to watch it. <laughs> there, there's a, um, there's a skill. Like I have to take away. Like I've been mm-hmm. shining on this the whole time about how great it is. But there's a, um, I would, I have to take away from this movie a little bit because there's a, and something that I talked about with Steven Spielberg last week about how upset he is about how Netflix is getting these awards and they can just put their movie out here and, and do it like that. Right. So um, there's, but there's a reason why Steven Spielberg is upset because his the thing that made him special is no longer needed anymore. Right. But that thing that made him special is he's very he's very good at it, and that's something that is missing from this movie. Yeah. What what Steven Spielberg has is the ability to take an idea and then make it um, make it to where a, a, a broad uh, audience can enjoy can, it and understand it. He can make things really marketable. Yeah, and, and market okay. it. Yes, yes, exactly. So it's like this This movie isn't something that it's like it doesn't have that Spielbergian Spielbergian but, nature yeah. to it to where it's just like it's, it's going to be blocked off from a lot of people. Right. It's like this isn't something that's going to be digestible to the common audience and also be respectable, you know, from yeah. critics. You know, it's like this is doing one of them. It's respected and it, in a small niche group, it's loved. But for the mass public, I don't know if David Lynch has ever or will ever have the ability to make something that it can be loved on a wide scale. And, and we don't necessarily need that from them either, yeah. you know, but it's just that is it does. It's, it's just niche. It's cult classic and it can only fit. It's like a circle that can't go on the block hole. It can't go in the triangle hole. It can only go in that hole right. and it's fine, you know, but yeah, it's, is that so the, I think the closest thing to that is twin peaks and mm-hmm. it, because it managed to become such a huge part of American culture. Oh yeah. Um, but you're right. I think a lot of David Lynch's work is not necessarily easy to access. Yeah. And uh, the reason why Twin Peaks became such a like a drastic part of American culture is because it took advantage of the format of like the episodic television mm-hmm. format of the X Files yeah. that were already kind of weird, and Twin Peaks just took it a little bit yeah. further in that direction. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think you're you're absolutely right. Yeah. Um, what would you give Blue Velvet? Uh, because of that, like small demerit, a um, eight out of ten. It's like yeah. I wanted to do like eight and a half, you know, but it's just like. It's just not accessible. It's just not digestible for enough of an audience, I guess. Well, I'll take it down. I think I'm, I'm going to go with eight out of ten as well. Yeah. Um, it's for a similar reason. Mm. Um, just like just because my watching of the film was like I had to stop the movie and like do something else for yeah. a little while to yeah. like get a palate cleanser. Yep. Um, but other than that, I think the movie is like a gorgeous example of like great filmmaking yep. from a director that not only is exclusively his own voice, mm-hmm. um, but has found it early on yeah. and has harvested it and, uh, how do you say it, um, has built it from the ground up, yeah. which is what I think the value is is of David Lynch's work, I that agree. it's decidedly his own work. Yes, I agree. And with that being said, we're going to cut and talk about television and movie premieres. Okay. And welcome back. Television and movie premieres. All right. Uh, Television and movie premieres from Tuesday, March the 12th through Monday, March the 18th. Uh, The first one is Tuesday, March the 12th is Videos After Dark. What do you think this that is? That sounds like a porn movie. You know, you would think yeah. it is. That sounds like that sounds like a like if they're doing a narrative porn movie right. about finding a box of tapes mm-hmm. at some point in the attic right. when you went to clean it and then you found a box of tapes and then it's just 
weird names and you click it in and then it's porn. It's all porn. And that's what that is. Videos after dark. Now I got I got a I got a wrench to throw at you now. Um it's hosted by Bob Saget. I'm so convinced that it's porn. <laughs> yep. Yep. It can go either way with Bob Saget. Yeah. Ain't no telling. You're gonna get full house. You're gonna get there's there's shit on the walls. <laughs> Stop telling what you're gonna get from Bob Saget. <laughs> it's a great call. It can really go. <laughs> We're finding out. We're flipping that coin. Yeah, but well, this is um, <laughs> it's a special sneak preview of a um, a new family-less friendly America's Funny Home Videos. So it's so family-less. Yeah. Okay. So it's like it's not as family-friendly. Got you. Yeah. Got you. Less right. family-friendly. I'm convinced that it's porn. Yeah, it's gonna happen. There's gonna be there's gonna be some titties in there. So it's it's on it's gonna be on. You know what? Who do you know who currently hosts America's Funniest Home Videos? No. Carlton from from the um, Fresh Prince. From, what? Yes. What? Yep, he does. What are you doing? Bro? I know, man. I mean, shout out to you. Like, you're Working. probably great at it. I mean, yeah, he's he's, he's smiling and happy. Even, wait, okay. Yeah. So there's two things that I, I didn't even know. America's funniest home videos still was around. A thing. Yep. Because um, YouTube is a thing, mm-hmm. and Reddit is a thing. <laughs> yep. So I figured that that was a market that just didn't exist anymore. Nope. These videos are from like the early 2000s and the 90s. The videos are still like pretty old, and right. you can tell which ones are linked out the ones that weren't funny enough to make it to YouTube because yeah. it would already been super viral. Or it's like that YouTube, like it's like there's no profanity or anything that could not be seen on ABC, right? Okay. So it's, it's that kind of stuff like babies doing stuff and does animals. He do, and does he do the dance? Carlton, I didn't see him do the that dance, the yeah. Carlton dance, but he is dancing around. He's, right. he's, he's basically doing his best impression of Wayne Brady. Oh, okay. You know, yeah, so yeah, yeah. Wayne Brady is pretty fucking funny. Yeah, yeah. You know? Interesting, way. interesting. Yeah. Didn't have no idea. Yeah. So he's he's doing that. But now um Bob Saget is back. He's hosting a dark or darker version of America's Funniest Home Videos. Lie. Bob Saget, America's Funniest Home Videos was kind of the shit. That was lit back then. It was what? Fucking awesome. Well, at, at the same time, we also did not have YouTube. That's also true. <laughs> yeah. It's also true. So if you wanted to see like somebody hit their their cousin in the head with a bat, <laughs> that was to. a place to go. You had to go to Bob Saget. <laughs> yep. You want to see somebody fall through a trampoline? Like, yeah, you got to you got to go to Saget. <laughs> yep. You got to go to Bob Saget for that stuff. Well, he did right. a stand up. I watched a stand-up from Bob Saget. That's that dirty. Still, it's dirty as fuck. Yeah. And I haven't listened to it in a long time, so I don't know if like how it stands up in 2019. Yeah. Um, but I remember that I laughed really hard yeah. when I was a kid watching Bob Saget say fucking shit. Yep. <laughs> my, my first experience with him, I still thought he was a full house Danny Tanner. And yep. then I seen the movie Dumb and Dumber-er. It's the, the prequel to Dumb and Dumber. You seen yeah. this one? With the, no, I haven't the seen it, but it's the... They, the where it's like he puts a chocolate bar in his pants, in his back pocket, mm-hmm. and he goes into the bathroom. And then when he goes to take the That's Jeffrey Daniels. Out, hmm? That's Jeff- Jeffrey Daniels. That's not Bob Saget. What? The guy that plays... The guy no, no, that no, plays- no, 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 no. That's Jeffrey Daniels. I'm not talking about that, that scene. And this not, that's not Jeffrey Daniels in that. This is a younger version. It's a prequel. So it's not it's not Jim Carrey and it's not Jeffrey Dan- James. Oh, what the fuck? Dumber Dumber Er didn't have either one of them. They had oh. they had younger versions of them. And Bob Saget played Jeffrey Bob Daniels' Sa- character? No, Bob. Hold on, man. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just confused. <laughs> so a, a, Je- 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 a younger version of Jeffrey Daniels, and he's pre- he's supposed to be in high school, so he's like a, in reality like a 19 year old guy, or a 20 year old guy, right? And um, he puts a chocolate bar inside of his back pocket, and it goes into Bob Saget's bathroom because ah, he's trying to date Bob Saget's daughter at the time. So he goes okay. into the bathroom and he takes the chocolate bar out, but it's melted. It's just gooey chocolate. So he goes to try to wipe his hands on on the um, on a towel, and right. then on the wall. 
wall and on the ceiling. He wipes his hands everywhere. Yeah. Then Bob Saget opens the door. He was like, what the hell? There's shit everywhere. There's shit on the walls. There's shit on the ceiling. How did-? And then you just pan out and just, to him just still yelling about it for like oh, forever. And I was like, what? Bob Saget can't say shit? <laughs> for some reason. Because I remember that scene, but I remember Jeffrey Daniels being nope. the one that did that scene. Nope. So I was just like, did Bob Saget play Jeffrey Daniels? What the fuck? No. Anyway. Anyway. Yeah. So right. Bob Saget. Bob Saget's back. Yeah, Bob Saget. He's going to be hosting that. Best videos after dark. Uh, the next thing is going to be Friday, March the 15th. Arrested Development is coming back for another season. Eight new episodes, technically the second half of season five. Wow, that's uh, been a long time. Yeah, I'm I'm off that boat. I'm yeah. off of that. Been I've off been of on that. that. I, I couldn't. I've been off that boat for a long time. Yeah, I'm, yeah. good. Like let, make way for other people. My, to Michael, do so. I think Michael Sarah was the best thing to come out of that show. Uh, Michael Sarah and Jason Bateman. Uh, really good. I I'm, think they're the best parts of the show. Yeah, I guess I got to agree because the person that I say is the best to come out of it, I can't think of his name right now. So, like he he did a uh, he had a show called like The Adventures of Todd Margaret. Um he's he plays the uh the guy that's white guy, bald head. The, 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 yeah, I know who you're talking about. The guy that goes to jail. Yeah, he has yeah. a name and he's he's good, but yeah. <laughs> I, I like him a lot. Yeah. Oh. yeah. But, but anyway, that's a rest of development. Um, so that, that's Friday, March the 15th. The rest of the development is coming back and it's going to be on Netflix. Uh, the next thing is going to be same day, Friday, March the 15th. I am Richard Pryor. It's a documentary that's going to be out this week. Um, if, if you miss Richard Pryor, then check that out. Yeah. Uh, the next thing, same day, is Love, Death, and Robots. Uh, Netflix first animated anthology series follows adults uh, that come from Tim Miller and David Fincher. Oh, that's why oh. I made it on there. David oh, Fincher. Oh, shit. Uh, each episode, it's the 185 minutes for each episode, and it's going to be sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and comedy. Okay, interesting. That sounds fun. So which one of these two? David Cross or? Uh, David, David Cross. David there Cross, we go. David Cross oh, Jeffrey really Tambor, too. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's a lot of people. Like, yeah. I, but I do have to agree. Like, Jason Bateman or Michael Will Cera. Will Arnett, too. Will Arnett. Yeah, man. Yeah. Will Arnett for yeah. BoJack Horseman. <laughs> yeah, man. Like, yeah, this is a lot. But yeah, probably Michael Sarah or Jason Bateman would be recognized as the top to come out of there. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, it's, uh, but yeah. all right. Uh, uh, great cast. <laughs> <laughs> Love, Death, and Robots um, by David Fincher is going to be out this week. So if you mess with David Fincher. Is he doing an animated? Is he producing or directing? Uh, let's see here. Uh, it, says just, it, says, it just says comes from Tim Miller and David Fincher. Interesting. They probably so wrote the produce. Script. Yeah, they probably wrote something. Okay. I hope so. Yeah. All right. So the next thing is Turn Up Charlie. That's going to be the exact same day this Friday. Turn Up Charlie. It's a comedy drama on Netflix. Um, this is starring Idris Elba. Okay. Yeah. Is that the clip where he was rapping randomly? It may. I haven't seen that clip, yeah. but it sounds like it from this rundown. Uh, Idris Elba returns for a much lighter series, which finds him playing a struggling DJ who takes a day job as a manny, quote unquote, for his much more successful friend's problem child. Okay. Interesting. I, that, I, I don't... Why, why? Why? It's a feel-good show. I guess like, I needed one after um, Kimmy Schmidt. I guess, <laughs> man. But, like, Idris Elba, like, his, he, his stock is high. Like, you didn't have to do that. You yeah. know, you just he, he just bumped Will Smith out of uh, out of Deadshot. Like, you ain't got to take this job. Fuck, Betty. Yeah. Oh, you haven't heard about that? <laughs> no. Yeah. Idris Elba is now playing Deadshot. Will Smith, go sit down. You, you go do Aladdin. Like, Damn. <laughs> yeah, Listen, want, yeah. French Prince of Agrabah. What? The Fresh Prince of Agrabah. Oh. <laughs> no, so that's turn up uh that's turn up trolley. I actually hate that joke, but I can't help myself from making it. 
right. The, um, and lastly, uh, movies. This one movie is called Wonder Park. It's a PG movie, 85-minute runtime. It's an animation adventure comedy. Uh, Wonder Park tells the story of a magnificent amusement park where their imagination of wildly creative girl named June comes alive. It's starring Jennifer Garner, Kenan Thompson, and Brianna Dinsky. I'm not sure. I, who I don't is. know who that is. Uh, th- I've seen the trailer for this movie. I swear to God, like fucking a, ha- a year and a half ago. No, it's about time it fucking came out. Okay. okay. Um, I'm not excited for it, but I just don't want to see any more trailers about it. I'm, I'm glad there's only an 85 minute runtime. Yeah. So it's like if I do take my daughter to see this, then you know I could get a short yeah. nap in. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I hope that it's good. I don't know. It's like I take her to see a lot of those movies. When they're yeah. good, it's great, you know. Right. But when they're not, they're not. You know. So, I feel you. Is that it? Is that all that's coming that out? Is it. All right. So I guess that's it for today's episode. I will, I'm going to do the rundown now. I almost said bye without doing the rundown. You can find us on Twitter, underscore FFS Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at the FFS Podcast. You can find us on Google Play Music app, iTunes Podcast app, Stitcher, and Spotify under the name for film's sake. My personal Twitter handle is at Brian Archilla. I'm at THA underscore V-O-N-Z. Hey, and that's it for today's episode, and we will see you next week. Hey.